0: Carboc Brewing Company presents Sports Talk 790 Astroline. Astroline, the official off-season show of Astros baseball. World Series champions. This is where we talk about your champs. Join the show.
1: Post your questions and comments on social media. Just be sure to hashtag
0: AstroLife championship city live from plucker's wing bar on shepherd sports talk 790
2: astraline starts now Now, now. and greetings from plucker's wing bar 1400 shepherd near downtown houston this is another edition of astraline presented by Carbach brewing company robert ford Joined tonight by a very special guest, Brian McTaggart, Astro's Beat Writer for MLB.com. And we'll be joined by Jimmy Wynn coming up a little later in the show. But, Brian, good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. And you've been an Astro's Beat Writer since 2004. You're with The Chronicle, been with MLB.com now since 2009. Uh, Hey, it's always fun to cover a world champion, even if it means you have to work a month longer, right?
1: Yeah, boy, the the spring training gets here really quick when the the final game's on November 1st. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it it's, it was a pretty amazing year, and uh, uh, just you know what, three months and we're right back at it again. So uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about time to get down to spring training, and uh, you know I think everyone's kind of tired of talking about. 2017, And I know we talked to AJ for a while yesterday and Jeff Ludo. I think everyone's ready to, to look ahead and try to see if they can do this again.
2: Turn a page and, and yeah. get ready for, for 2018. As I mentioned, you've been covering this team since 2004, but that doesn't even really tell the whole story because you, you grew up in the Houston area. Yep. You're a lifelong Astros fan. You know, Went to many a game at, at the Dome back in the day. And so it, it had to be even more special for you being someone who, who's from this community and has, has followed the Astros your entire life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think I went to my first Astros game probably 76, 77. I think it was the Dodgers, Steve Garvey maybe. I think okay. Steve Garvey was on a cereal box at the time. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that's how I kind of made that connection. But um, And then when I got my license when I was 16, first place I wanted to go was the Astrodome. So, well, you know, I – Game seven of the World Series, you have a big job to do. It's a big assignment. Um, We've been working, uh, and all the reporters have been working a month straight. But when it got to the ninth inning, I just sort of sat back and took a moment and watched. As you know, the the bottom of the ninth inning went very quickly. Yeah. Um, So I just kind of sat there and and took it in for ten minutes. And it was just kind of surreal. It was kind of hard to believe that the team you followed all your life was uh, dancing in the middle of the field. and. And then there's work to do. But, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun to go back and watch it. And uh, I, do, I do have video on my phone that I took in the uh, from the press box, and I've gone back and looked at that a few times as well. Of the final out of yeah. the
2: celebration. That's, that's pretty neat. And, you know, the, the thing is when you do when – you, when you're part of a run like this, whether the broadcaster, player, beat writer, whatever, the – whatever the role is, it, it can be really hard to kind of do that, right? To just kind yeah. of take a moment and step back. I, I, this offseason, have you been able to reflect a little bit more about, about everything that transpired and, and all you witnessed? Because when you're in the moment, it's, it's kind of hard to do.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, not only in the playoffs, but in the you go back to the season. Spring training seemed like an eternity ago. But there were, there were so many big games. And then the, the night of the, the Verlander trade when the team had just gotten home from Hurricane Harvey for the first time and that trade going down to the wire, uh, so many dramatic moments. Uh, you get wrapped up in the World Series and you forget about the, you know, ALCS. They had backs to the wall. You yeah. had to win a couple of games just to, to get to that point. And it, it just shows that a lot of things have to go right. I mean, the Yankees could have won the World Series a break here and there. The Dodgers, the ball bounces different here and there. Uh, you know, uh, their, their ace pitcher holds on to a four-run lead. Yeah. they probably win the World Series. So you have to be really good. But, man, you have to have a lot of things go right. And that just makes it that much more special.
2: It really does. And you were part of the coverage in 2005 when the Astros went to the World Series uh, was that how was that experience I mean obviously then the result but just how was that experience in 05 covering the World Series uh, against the White Sox different than the covering the World Series this time around
1: yeah well, it was over a lot quicker it seemed like it, was, <laughs> it seemed like it was a blink of an eye but yeah. the thing that struck me about the 05 team was that when they when they won the uh, NLCS, I I got the impression even at the time. This is not looking back. I got the impression that they were sort of happy to be there. You know, it was the first time they'd ever gotten to the World Series. Bagwell and Vizio, hey, we got to the World Series, um, and then they ran into a White Sox team that was a saw. I mean, that yeah. team that team was rolling through the playoffs, and the four games were a combined six runs. I mean, again, that's uh, everyone looks at a sweep. That was a very very close series. So. It, it just was over really quick, and uh, it just seemed like the Astros take nothing away from them. It, it was almost like, man, we're we're happy just to get to the World Series, and that wasn't the case this year. You could tell this team had had more business to take care of.
2: And that group too, and again, like you said, take nothing away from them, but you know they they finally got past the Cardinals, right? Who yeah. who, who they had lost to in the in that great NLCS the year before, right? Um, and and they had struggled for so long to get past the Braves just to get out of the division series in, in the late 90s and. Uh, yeah, so I could totally see where, the, the, you know, whether it's con- whether it's conscious, subconscious, or not, where you're almost like, man, we finally finally got to the World Series, yeah. uh, where where that might be a bigger deal. Whereas it felt like this team, and, and and tell me if you felt this way, but I certainly didn't feel like this year's Astros team or 2017. They didn't. They certainly weren't happy to be there. They, I mean, from the beginning of spring training, we were talking about winning the World Series.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And two things really struck me the, about the confidence and the psyche of this team. Uh, one of them was after they went to New York, those those three games against the Yankees and the ALCS, and yeah. that was a, a rough environment. We all know it, it, they, got, they got put through the, the blender right there. After that game, uh, talking to Alex Bregman, who, of course, is a very confident kid, but yeah. talking to him in the clubhouse, it, it, you could just sense there was something about him and this team that I got the feeling that they were going to win. And, and the same thing after game six. They just lost Game 6, chance to win the World Series. I thought the clubhouse would be more doom and gloom, but everyone's like, man, I can't wait to play Game 7. And it was the same thing. I was like, man, these guys think they're going to go out and win Game 7. And uh, it's just, I think a lot of that goes to A.J. Hinch. He just, he has them with the right mindset and a very confident team.
2: And Let's talk about A.J. Hinch a little, little bit. You've, you've covered some, quite a few managers in your, in your time uh, with the Astros. Where does, as far as for you, in terms of just being able to deal with him on a daily basis, and, and just the mood that he sets with the team, where does AJ rate for you in terms of some of the other managers that you've covered with the Astros?
1: Well, he's right up there with Phil Garner, and I know that they've become friends since uh, AJ had moved here to Houston. But what, what makes both of them great is uh, they're great guys, and they're just they're just adorable guys who, who are, are baseball managers. They know our job, they understand our job, they respect our job. We can ask them any question. Usually they don't get mad at us, and if they do, they don't show it. But, uh, you know, probably the best part of our day is every day we get to talk to A.J. in the dugout for a few minutes. Maybe it goes on for 10 minutes. I know you're there and other reporters. And when that's over and we turn off our tapes and put down the notepads, it takes another 10 minutes. And we just, you know, shoot the breeze with A.J., and uh, he tells us some more things that we can't write, but things that could help us down the road if we're going to write something. So. He, he uh, yeah, he's just really great to deal with, and uh, and uh, if you're, you know, not only if you're the beat writer, if you if you come in from uh, New York and you've never dealt with him before, he'll answer the same questions over and over and, and take his time with you.
2: And you mentioned, you bring up a, a key point there. We talk about, you know, AJ Hinch it will talk off the record, and he, you know, he does that with the broadcasters as well, right. as well as with you guys and and with other reporters. Uh, and, and that goes back to something I think. A lot of people don't always realize that that, that trust factor is so important yeah. when you do what you do as a beat writer and you're in the clubhouse every day, the Trust of the, that you have the trust of the manager, that you have the trust of the players, you have their respect, uh, because that, that just becomes really big because if you don't have that, it makes it a lot tougher to do your job.
1: Yeah, the last thing you want to do as a reporter is burn a player or a manager. If they tell you something's off the record, you have to be absolutely sure because uh, you do not want to get called in the manager's office if you wrote something that was yeah. – that he thought was off the record, you thought was on the record. So, And it gets frustrating at times because you get told a lot of great things that you can't write, but you have to understand where the manager's coming from and, and maybe down the road you can write them. And most of the times, uh, you know, you can't write them. but uh, you, you can't burn the manager. I mean, he's the guy you see every day, no matter what. You don't talk to every player every day, but you see right. the manager every single day. So you have to have a great relationship with him.
0: All right.
2: Your time with the Ast- covering the Astros, like I said, since 2004. From what you can remember, when's, when's the – What's the maddest of managers ever been at you?
1: Well, that's easy. That was, uh, that, that was uh, Cecil Cooper. It was uh-huh. the, the, I can't remember all the details, probably 10 years ago. It was the night that Pudge Rodriguez broke the all time games caught record he was that's with right. the Astros. It yep. was in Arlington, so it was a big deal in Arlington. And the Astros lost the game in Arlington. Uh, the players had champagne. They wanted to make a big deal out of, out of Pudge breaking the record. Uh, Coop had other ideas. He was a little upset over the way they played had a team meeting, uh, berated the team, you know, was unhappy. And that didn't sit well with the players, the Jeff Blums and the Darren Erstads of the world. And uh, so a couple of the younger players sort of nodded me over and said, hey, this is going on. And so uh, I asked around to a couple of players, and before you know it, I, I wrote a story saying the players were unhappy with the way that the Coop handled it. So the next day, I believe it was, uh, I go in his office. It might have been after that game. I can't remember. But anyway, the next time I go into his office... Four or five reporters wander in there, and he's standing up, and I can see him looking for somebody, and it's me. <laughs> he makes eye contact with me, points at me, he's like you, and uh, so we got into it a little bit, and uh, but uh, you know, it all it all blew over. But that's that's by far the maddest ma- manager has ever been at me so far. AJ, uh, no no moments like that so far.
2: Well, that, that that's definitely a plus <laughs> and. But I mean, there are going to be times, though, even there is. when when you're doing your job, if you're doing your job right, there are going to be times when managers are upset with you, when players are upset with you. That's, that's kind of the nature of, of being a beat writer, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, take nothing away from Coop. You know, like a great guy. But but yeah, there's times you you ask AJ a question, and you know, he doesn't like it or he doesn't doesn't sit well with him. I mean, we all know that if he had to pitch to David Ortiz again in Boston in, in May a couple of years ago, he probably wouldn't do it. And but yeah. you know, that that day, you have to ask him the question and. Uh, It's after a tough loss, but that's just part of the job.
2: But it is definitely part of the job. We're talking with Brian McTaggart, Astros beat writer for MLB.com. Don't forget, spring opener 15 days away, coming up on February 23rd, ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Make sure, make your plans to see the World Series champion, Houston Astros, West Palm Beach, Florida, for all there is to see and do visit the Palm Beaches. .com, and you're heading down to spring training even sooner than that. Pitchers and catchers uh, report in less than a week for the Astros. Valentine's Day, I believe, is the the date. Romantic. Yeah, very romantic. Maybe not so much for the uh, significant others of the players or the beat writer, uh, <laughs> since you have to be down there. So you're
1: heading down pretty soon, right? Yeah, going down on Monday. There's not really an official report date, but uh, I know uh, Wednesday they hit the field. But, yeah, it, it comes really quick.
2: And, you know, something people don't realize, and, you know, I, I get down there when, when the game started, you know, me, you, and Jay Kaplan is the be writer for the Houston Chronicle. We always go back and forth about, you know, you guys like to give me grief about how I'm not there. For we pictures, do? Sketch, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of just good-natured back and forth that we always have since our, our jobs are a little different. But, you uh, know, people don't always realize, I mean, fans get excited uh when spring training happens right because it's it means it's the spring is around the corner baseball season's around the corner and not to say that you or i don't get excited but spring training can be a grind especially i always thought uh when i used to have to cover those two weeks with with the workouts before the games i felt like that was the hardest period of spring training because i mean it's a workout every day and you know you're not really watching baseball and you can only watch so many workouts
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, My dad came down to spring training a few times, and uh, he he thought I I was going down there for a vacation. But (laughs) by the time he woke up, I was gone, and then he wanted to eat dinner, and I was coming back at 6, and he realized, wow, you're working really hard down here. But. It's just every – I think Bo Porter would say every day is Monday. Every day yeah. you get up at the same time. It's early. could be a Saturday. Uh, once the games start, you're there at a 6 o'clock. You might have to travel, although now that we're in West Palm, the travel is much better. Right. But uh, it's hot. You're outside a lot. I know I'm not probably getting a lot of sympathy from people. No. About, uh, <laughs> watching baseball in Florida. But but it is a grind. It's so different than everything else we do. It's all in the morning. and. Once the season starts, you, you flip the switch, and now you're now you're you're sleeping in, and you're staying up later. Right. But uh, it, you know, you do have to make the most of it. You have to pace yourself. I know when I go down there, it's like I want to write this, I want to write this, but you have six weeks. You can't write everything all at once.
2: And I know when you have those workouts, you know you have things going on in, in all the different fields. And I remember talking with uh, uh, Bob Dutton, who just recently retired as a right. writer for the Mariners, and I got to know him when he when he used to cover the Royals uh, when I was working in Kansas City. And I remember talking with Bob during spring training once, and. Uh, you know we he would he would talk about how difficult it is sometimes when so many different things are going on to know where you're supposed to be be right place right, right time sometimes it's just kind of just good fortune because you just happen to be in the, on the right backfield, when you happen to see something that maybe is newsworthy or that you can write about, but it
1: can be—it can get
2: pretty tricky. Yeah,
1: there's not a worse feeling than you're—you're you're out there, and you can't find your other reporters. You're looking where, where's the competition? Yeah, and then you see them scurrying from a backfield together like they're—they're they're making a beeline for their laptops with some big story. You're like, what's going on back there? You know, <laughs> who got who got hurt? So, uh, so yeah, you know, I. I you, you go out there and your head's on a swivel. You're, who's throwing over here? Who's over here? Okay, where's the competition? What are they watching? Why are they watching that? So yeah. uh, you always have to keep your you're, you're watching
2: the players and the other other right.
1: media members. It's, and the media members are not in the best shapes of their lives. So. <laughs> well, that the thing is they are, and yeah. that's really what the problem is.
2: <laughs> hey, you're listening to Astros Radio right here in Houston on our flagship. Sports Talk 790KM, KBME, and 99.1 FM HD, two longtime partners and affiliates of the Astros Radio Network. We're going to have more with Astros beat writer Brian McTaggart. And we're going to be joined via phone by a very special guest, the Toy Cannon, Jimmy Wynn, first great power hitter that the Houston Astros ever had. That's coming up as Astroline, presented by Carbot Brewing Company, continues live from Plucker's Wing Bar on 1400 Shepherd and on the Houston Astros Radio Network. And welcome back to Astroline, presented by Carbot Brewing Company, coming to you live from Plucker's Wing Bar, 1400 Shepherd. Hey, don't forget, 2018 Astros season tickets are on sale now. Enjoy some of the best seats at Minute Maid Park. Save money and receive great benefits throughout the season. Call one astros or visit astros.com slash season tickets to get your seats today. Robert Ford, joined once again by Astros beat writer from MLB.com, Brian McTaggart, and we're joined over the phone by a very special guest. You just heard a couple of Titanic blasts hit by Jimmy Wynn was known as the toy cannon during his playing career 11 of those seasons that Jimmy Wynn spent in the big leagues 1963 to 1973 were spent in a Houston Astros uniform and uh, really the first great power hitter that, that the Astros had first of all Jimmy thanks so much for joining us pleasure to be speaking with you
0: oh Mr. Ford thank you very much everything is great uh, first of all before you start interviewing I'd like to congratulate the Astros for winning the 1916 World Championship. Go Astros.
2: All right. Well, Jimmy, what was it like for you watching the Astros, the organization that you played for for so long, and you you, you live in Houston and have lived in Houston for a long time? What was it like for you watching the Astros go, go through their run to win the World Series?
0: It was great. Uh, the one thing about it was that my wife told me that God told her that the Astros were going to win the World Series, and boy, did they do it! They did it the way that I wish they would have done it. And but I'm very proud of them.
2: That, that's really that's really cool. Did you how much how closely do you pay attention to the Astros during the season these days?
0: Well, I go to the ball game as often as I can, and. Uh, uh, I, I watch them on TV. Boy, I tell you, it's exciting.
2: Very exciting team. Do you have a favorite Astros player? Do you have anybody in particular you really like to watch on this on the current Astros team?
0: Mr. Atube. He's the only one outside of Springer. Springer and the shortstop, uh, as I tell you. Correa, yeah. something else. Yes, they are.
2: They, they are tremendous players, and Altuve, I mean, you could argue he's, he's almost like you, you know, maybe not the biggest guy, but but can hit some hit some home runs and, and, and hit them in bunches.
0: Well, that's the reason why I like him so much, because everybody wants to take charge and want to be part of Jimmy Wynn. And, of course, Altuve, what, is 5'1", five, five two or something like that, maybe a little taller, I'm 5'9", so everything is working just well.
1: Hey, Jimmy, this is Brian McTaggart at uh, MLB.com. In reading your book, there was a story in there I I was fascinated by. by. I wonder if you could uh, recant it a little bit. You said growing up in Cincinnati, you you grew up uh, close to Crosley Field, and that uh, at some point some of the Reds players would drive down your street and you were able to befriend them a little bit. Can you just tell us a little bit about that?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I used to run home from school every day. And uh, just say hello to the guys, wave at them. And, and, you know, there's one street Corrine Avenue that the ball club had to go down in order to get to crawl the field. And uh, and one day, one day, Frankie Robinson and Vader Pixon drove up and stopped right in front of the house. And they went in and asked my father and my mother, Could they take me down to the ball field? Of course, my father and my mother said yes. So I went in. I saw Frankie get dressed, saw Vader get dressed, all the socks that they are wearing. And I told myself, this is what I want to be. I want to become a major league ball player just like those two. After saying hello to everybody, the owner of the ball club, Frankie Robinson gave me his gloves, One wow. of his gloves. I wish I had kept it then, but I didn't. But that was really, really nice of both guys.
2: And then when you got to the big leagues and you actually got to play against Frank Robinson, didn't you tell him that story about how you, you he uh you met him when you were a boy in Cincinnati?
0: Oh yeah, I told him of course he 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 reminisced about it a great deal, he invader. And as a matter of fact, they told me how everything went.
2: That's pretty neat. That's a really neat story. Talking with Jimmy Wynn, uh, Astros great, and uh, you were originally signed by the Cincinnati Reds. As we mentioned, you you grew up in Cincinnati, and uh, the Reds signed you. You played one year in their minor league system, and, in 1962, and then the Astros wound up selecting you in a, in a type of draft that they don't really have anymore for first-year players who are not on the 40-man roster, and you wound up going over to the Astros for the 1963 season. First of all, what was the experience like signing with your hometown team, and then what was your reaction when you found out that you were no longer going to be with the Cincinnati Reds and going to Houston?
0: Well, I tell you, I cried when I went to, uh, when I went to Cincinnati and found out that they was got rid of me that quick. But signing with Cincinnati was a dream come true. I always wanted to play with my own team, but uh, I had a chance to showcase my talent with the Astros, and that is the reason why I love the Astros so much is because they gave me an opportunity to strut my stuff, put it in a major league, and, and continue to do it for years and years.
1: Hey, Jimmy, this is Brian again. I, I think most Astros fans know that uh, one of the famous home runs in the Astrodome was, was your upper deck uh, shot. Um, how, mu- how much memories do you have of that And as far as uh, who was pitching and, and where is, the, where is that the back of that chair now? We all know they put the, the Toy Cannon logo on that. Is that something that you have still?
0: Yeah, I still have it here at the house. Um, the thing that I remember about it is that it was during the regular season. I love that. Because Doug Ray hit one during an exhibition, which didn't count. I hit one during the season against Phil Negro, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer knuckleballer, and uh, mine counted because it was during the regular season. And of course, we won the ball game.
1: So how does a, a five-nine? How does a five-nine guy hit knuckleball into the upper deck of the astronaut? <laughs> that's that's to find some physics, I think. No kidding.
0: Oh my God! I don't know how I hit it. You know, I just just swung with my eyes closed and, and had it and hit it. And the next thing I know, I was rounding third coming in. And my players told me that, "Hey, you want to take a look at where the ball landed?" I said, "Of course." In the in the yellow section, about five six rolls up. So I was happy about that.
2: Without a doubt, talking with Jimmy Wynn, toy cannon, and uh, uh, hit some, some titanic glass during his time uh, with the, the Houston Astros. And, you know, you were kind of a, a guy who was ahead of his time in a way. You uh, hit a lot of home runs, obviously, uh, but you also did a lot of walks and an error when that really wasn't appreciated quite the way it is now. Uh, for your era, the strike your strikeout numbers were high, even though nowadays no one would think, Striking out 137 times in the season is all that much, but uh, how did you develop that kind of your style where you you know you drew all the walks you did and, and the high strikeouts? Did anybody ever try to try to change you from that?
0: Well, there was one guy who tried to change me a great deal, but his name is not that important to me right now. So uh, what I did was I learned my strike zone, and that gave me an opportunity to walk a great deal understand the game of baseball a little better, and uh, continue to do the things to help win ball games for the Astros.
2: So I'd have to imagine, were there times when you had to resist the temptation, especially on some of those Astros teams, you were really like kind of the, the guy. You were the power hitter. You were the run producer. You didn't have a whole lot of protection. Were there times when you had to resist the temptation to maybe chase a pitch out of the zone to try and drive in runs because you knew there might not be that protection behind you?
0: Uh, the answer to that, yes. Uh, the temptation, I tell you, was something else. Uh, one day, um, I think I stole 43 out of 47 bases. I loved the run. I love to steal bases then. However, general manager Speck Richardson called me to his office one day and told me, uh, "Jimmy Wynn, we need for you to score more runs." Uh, more RBIs, more home runs, leave that running alone. We don't want that. So what Speck Richardson did, he took one one of my aspects away from me, running, stealing bases. So that was a tremendous feeling of, Jimmy, you got to do this, you got to do that. And that is the reason why I struck out a great deal.
2: All right, just trying to do your best for the the Houston Astros at the time. Hey Jimmy, you're going to stick around with us for another segment here.
0: Oh yes, if you want me to, I will.
2: All right, we're going to have more with Jimmy Wynn, the toy cannon, as well as Astros beat writer Brian McTaggart. You're listening to Astroline, presented by Carbach Brewing Company, and live from Plucker's Wing Bar on 1400 Shepherd. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network.
0: Well, the starting lineup for this afternoon's ball game for Houston. Jimmy Wynn in center Field. Wynn in Sutter. There's a pitch. Swung on. Drive up the middle and Wynn cuts over. I don't believe he get it. He dives. He does. He makes a miracle grab. Throws to first base. Double play. There is one of the greatest plays ever made in the world famous Astrodome.
2: Welcome back to another edition of AstroLine, presented by Carbock Brewing Company. Coming to you live from... Buckers Wing Bar, 1400 Shepherd near downtown Houston. Next Astro Line, next Thursday, the 15th, day after Valentine's Day. Jeff Blum's going to be hosting that one. Certainly make sure you, you come out for that or join us on the Astros radio network. Robert Ford joined by Astros beat writer Brian McTaggart with MLB.com. And we're also joined over the phone by the Toy Cannon, Jimmy Wynn. 223 home runs in his 11 seasons with the Houston Astros, fourth most home runs in Astros history. Only Bagwell, Berkman, and Biggio hit more, and of course Jimmy Wynn, with his number retired uh, at the Astrodome or retired at Minute Maid Park, rather. But did his damage at the Astrodome, and uh, you know, you you grow up in Cincinnati as we talked about earlier, Jimmy, and uh, you know, your, your your dad Joseph was uh, the first guy who who kind of showed you baseball and and got you into baseball, what was the point where you realized that, that, um, you know, you you had some talent at baseball, and this is something that you could possibly uh, parlay into a a big league career?
0: Well, I I learned that when I was just a little kid, and, of course, it it came by um, uh, when I was growing up in Cincinnati. I think uh, probably my father was teaching me the basics. You know, he used to manage a ball club. I used to go uh, with him every Sunday, him and my mother, every Sunday, and watch him play ball and watch him coach. So I got all that from him, and then all of a sudden, upon graduation, I had a chance to try out with Cincinnati Reds with the big club. They love me. Matter of fact, Jerry Lynch told the owner uh, of the ball club, don't let him out of Cincinnati. Sign him now. But they didn't sign me, and I went on to college for two years and loved every moment of it.
1: Jimmy, this is Brian again. Obviously, the game has changed a lot since you played, but when you look at guys like George Springer, who is this big athletic guy, leads off, hits home runs, um, and then you, you go to the Yankees and Aaron Judge, who's uh, as, as big as a mountain, and then they signed Joe Gian, Carlos Stanton, just these giant athletic guys who, who can do a little of everything. Do they remind you of anybody that, that you played with, and, and what do you think about the way the game has evolved with uh, those type of players?
0: Well, of course, the game has changed a great deal. Uh, of course, Springer is, is one of the keys to the ball club. If he doesn't hit, if he doesn't play defense, which he does very well, then the ball club doesn't gel as well as it should. But when he is playing defense and hitting, the ball club takes off. But the game has changed a great deal. Of course, I didn't have a big guy like Judd or uh, Springer to play with me. I had to do it on my own, which, which was a-okay for a for time being. But if I had those guys would have brought out a little bit more out of me, than it did um, during the course
2: of my career. Talking with, with Jimmy Wynn, one of the all-time great power hitters uh, in Astros history, and you know, you talk about that athleticism, and the le- athleticism that a guy like George Springer has. And you mentioned earlier you had a season where you stole 43 bases, and you were pretty athletic. A lot of people don't realize you know, when you made your Astros debut in 1963, it wasn't in the outfield. It was a shortstop, and you were originally an infielder, uh, played third base and shortstop in the minor leagues. Talk about the transition from uh, how did you wind up going from being an infielder to being a center fielder, being an outfielder like you were for, for the majority of your career?
0: Well, what I told the ball club was get me out of here. Put me someplace else. Uh, well, Houston, Houston had a young man that played shortstop, a young phenom named Sonny Jackson,
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: was trying to come up. And he did. He came up and then playing center field was a blessing for me. I, uh, people didn't realize that in order to play center field, I took 200 uh, fly balls every day for a solid two weeks at Oak Coast Stadium in order to be a center fielder. And, of course, uh, I played that night.
2: And when how, what was the transition like for you? I mean, obviously, you take, like you said, you take all those fly balls. But how, how, what was the hardest part for you going from being in the infield where you're in the middle of the action to, to then going out to center field?
0: Well, a whole lot, I think. Um, I had to learn how to come in, uh, come in to get a fly ball on a line drive. Of course, I knew how to go back to get them. I had to understand that I was the captain of the outfield, which I didn't do for the first two or three years of my career. I learned that. But uh, everything worked out well. Uh, everybody was working with me. The third base coach was working with me. Uh, the hitting coach was working with me. So everything worked out real well.
1: Jimmy, the uh, a lot of the new things have come into the game lately, the – the replays. There's talk of a, uh, a a pitch clock and so forth. Maybe down down the road. When you, when you played, time of game wasn't a problem. Um, what do you think could be done about you know time of game and maybe speeding things up? And, and what do you think about uh, replay, what ultimately gets most of the calls right, but you know it does seem like it slows down the game a little bit.
0: Well, yes, it does slow down the game, the game a great deal. It's almost just like basketball or football, really. Uh, in order to speed it up. I think the pitching coach uh definitely gotta stop going back and forth to the mound. I think they should have maybe one time that they should have uh go to the mound. It goes for the manager to uh, base zone balls they doing that, send the run on down. Uh there's a lot of things that could be uh instrument and slowing down the game i mean not slowing down the game but speed it up just a little bit so i'm just waiting on somebody to find out what they can do about it
2: well and that's certainly something that they're they're trying to work on and, and trying to figure out how to uh how to how to speed up the game and the pace of the game and, and all that so toy cannon your your nickname you've been called that since 1967 uh John Wilson, a sports writer for the uh, Houston Chronicle, was the one who, who initially came up with that during that that 67 season, which was a, a great year for you. Do you remember the first time you heard someone refer to you as a toy cannon, and what was your reaction to it?
0: Mm, I don't, I can't forget. I can't remember who uh, who said the toy cannon, but I didn't like that name, the nickname for the time being, mainly because if I hit home runs, I'm, I'm better known as a toy cannon. If I didn't hit home runs, the ball club didn't win, then I'm just playing Jimmy Wynn. I didn't like that. (laughs) But every time I went someplace during the course of the season, they always say, Tar Cannon, how you doing? Tar Cannon. I forgot my name. (laughs) You know, everybody calls me Tar Cannon, I I forgot my name. So Tar Cannon is stuck. It's a good-sounding name, so I love it.
2: It's a fantastic name, and you know, you' don't, you just don't have players who, who have nicknames like that really uh, uh, anymore uh, jimmy what's it, what's it like for you being in Houston, having this be your home Of course, not from Houston originally, as we mentioned but but what do you, what do you like about about, about being in Houston and uh, how much has it changed since since you first got here?
0: Well, everything changed. The reason why I stuck with Houston was because the people the people were friendly. Um, They were lovable. Um, The ball club gave me an opportunity to strut my stuff, so I stayed. The weather was really, really hot. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, I love Houston. I love the people. I love the ball club. I love the owner. So everything is working out real well.
2: Well, that's really good to hear, Jimmy Wynn, Hoy Cannon. Thank you so much for joining us. Always good to hear from you and, and hear some of your great stories.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me. For number one, my wife, uh, my wife told me to say this. Uh, I think I said congratulations to the Astros tonight night for, for the winning the World Series, but I did say that the the year, which is wrong, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> is when the Astros one. it.
2: Not- <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, thanks for joining us, Jimmy. You take care.
0: All right. Thank you very much.
2: All right. Always good to hear from the Toy Cannon, Jimmy Wynn, one of the the great power hitters in in Astros history. And don't forget, you can find all Astros postseason and World Series champions merchandise by visiting the Astros team store. Purchase customized jerseys, Astros gear, hats, and more. Visit astros.com slash team store to see what's available today. We'll have more with Astros beat writer Brian McTaggart as AstroLine presented by Carbock Brewing Company live from Plucker's Wing Bar continues on the Houston Astros Radio Network.
1: I cannot wait to get to spring training. Some of it is to talk about 2018, but most of it is just to continue to develop what culture is all about in our clubhouse. There's going to be some conversations about the rotation. There's going to be some conversations about the closer. There's going to be some conversations about the batting order because it is the best time of the year. And we all get to share it together uh, as we start to build this because the other thing I'm going to remind our team, I'll remind everybody here, we haven't won a game. We've got to win a lot of them to get to where we want to get to be able to be the team that has a chance to repeat means we did something pretty good last season. It doesn't mean that it's guaranteed for this season. So we will put the work in. We will have high character. We will have high energy. You will see this emotion out of our players because we are going to try to win because it's 2018. We're not trying to defend anything. We're trying to win 2018. A.J. Hinch
2: laying down the message for 2018 as we continue on Astro Line presented by Carbach Brewing Company, coming to you live from Plucker's Wing Bar, 1400 Shepard. Last segment of the night, we're joined by Astro's beat writer, uh, Brian McTaggart with MLB.com. A.J. Hinch making those comments at the media luncheon, which you were at yesterday. Jeff Luno also spoke uh, as well. And uh, I thought that a key thing that A.J. talked about, at that media luncheon yesterday, was about how, hey, we're not trying to defend anything. We're we're just we're just trying to move on. We're trying to we're trying to win games. 2018.
1: Yeah, uh, I think maybe for the first uh, week of spring training, they'll, they'll they'll probably allow those questions about 2017. But I just get the sense everybody's ready to let's let's focus on on 2018 and and some of the things we have to do. And there are there are a lot of good storylines heading into this year too. So. I mean, i tell you what, the Astros really basked in the glory of this championship, just the way the players were out and about and making appearances and the talk show circuits. Uh, I mean, they really lived it up and uh, got to tip my hat to them. But uh, I'm sure they're all ready to get to work. It looks like a bunch of players are already down there working. I saw a video today of uh, Carlos Correa pulling like a sled with uh-huh. Jose Altuve on it. as, as Oh, yeah, wait. I saw that,
0: too. That's right.
1: <laughs> So uh, whatever, whatever works, I guess. But I think every, everyone's ready for 2018, and, and
2: certainly, and, and ready to to see how good this team can be this year. We're joined now by uh, our social media manager, Danny Ferris. Uh, good to see you, Danny. And I know you have some uh, you have some fans here, apparently. I know you have some uh, questions uh, on social media for some fans.
3: Yes, uh, I have a few questions coming in uh, over on our Facebook page in the comments. So thank you, everybody, tossing out those questions. Uh, I know you guys were just talking about AJ's speech. Looking forward to 2018. But this question is actually looking back at 2017. This question comes in from Andy. If you have an unsung hero of the 2017 season, his is Charlie Morton. Uh, He's curious to know your guys' thoughts about the 2017 season. Unsung heroes.
1: That was sort of the first one that, that popped in my head. I, I don't know if we can call Marvin Gonzalez an unsung hero yeah. anymore. Yeah. I, I actually gave Marvin a vote for in the American League MVP. I voted him 10th. I just thought he was so crucial to what the team did, um, just with all the injuries and, and leading the team at RBIs and, and playing all over. But Morton's a great one. Who, who would have ex- expected that, uh, winning two Game 7s in the, in the playoffs as yeah. well? Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, Morton was kind of a, a wild card coming into the year. He, knew about
2: the talent but struggle with injuries and, and to see the way he just blossomed and he was on the DL for
1: a stint but I mean it's the healthiest he had been in, in quite some time this past year yeah I think it was the, for his first game of the spring it might it was in Port St. Lucie I think and we had all heard about the velocity and the catchers had talked about how hard he was throwing and they have the uh, it's one of the few spring sites with the speed on the scoreboard I think his first pitch was 97 he was 97 98 and we were kind of looking at each other like wow can he keep this up and sure enough Game seven of the World Series, throwing 97-98. What you were doing in the press box today, that's exactly what Steve Sparks and I were doing right. in the broadcast. We were kind of like, like wow,
2: is he yeah, is he keeping the, is he Is going to keep this up? How, how is this going to go? We have a another question uh, on
3: social media. Danny, take it away. Yeah, definitely. I would throw a peacock in that conversation as well. Yeah, as, oh, yeah. Heroes. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Uh, so looking forward to spring training in the 2018 season. We have some top prospects, uh, especially Kyle Tucker joining us the major league camp, uh, but also Forrest Whitley is a name that's talked about, uh, MLB pipeline, uh, top ten prospect for us. Do you guys see them making the, their major league debut this season? This
1: question comes in from Julian. I think it would be hard just because how deep the, the team is. There, there are really no open spots. That being said, every time I talk to Jeff Luno, he, he seems to be bullish about these guys pitching, or in Whitley's case pitching, Tucker's case playing this year, especially Whitley. In fact, just last week, he said we could see him in Houston by the end of the year. Um, and he's 20 years old. So yeah. uh, it, it's going to be a big year for them. They're going to be a triple A at some point. But uh, this team is so deep, it's going to be very hard to crack the 25 man roster. If you have to ask me, I would say no. I would not expect them up here, but I think in, in 2019 they're a huge part of what this team is doing. Well, and I mean, you just don't know, especially when you talk about pitching.
2: In a case of Forrest Whitley, there are always injuries. You rarely get through the season with just five or six starters, uh, and I, I'm sure that that's something Jeff Luna is thinking about. And also, too, I mean, look at what happened this past year. You know, Joe Musgrove wanted to move into the bullpen, wanted being great out of the bullpen uh, after initially being in the starting rotation. So who knows? Maybe it's a situation. Uh, where if the Astros feel like that might be the best fit for them at, for the time, maybe Forrest Whitley winds up in the bullpen uh, in the latter part of the
1: year. Yeah, that's the thing. You never know. Every, every year there's someone who comes to spring training that, that opens your eyes and pushes for a spot on the club. Tyler White a couple of years ago, you remember a few years ago, Astro Wojciechowski yep. came out of nowhere, made the opening day rotation, You know, ended up fizzling out, but... There's always that guy, and, you know, Whitley's going to be in minor league camp, but uh, I'll be really anxious to see. I'm sure they're going to bring him over a time or two and pitch in big league camp. I'll be anxious to see what he can do. Another question from uh, social media, Danny.
3: Yeah, another uh, storyline in spring training. Uh, Who do you see cracking the roster as the opening day left fielder? Do you think Derek Fisher is that guy? Does he have it in to to take that job this question because they're from Steve.
2: That's really one of the, probably the biggest question the Astros have in terms of their uh, opening day lineup is who's going to be in yeah. left, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest question. I think Tucker is the name. Jeff Luno said yesterday at the the luncheon that he expects Tucker to get 400 at bats. I'm guessing most of those will be in left field, of course. Uh, Marvin's going to play there some. Tony Kemp is a name that we hear is going to play some left field again, and he said with Maristic playing some right, of course, Reddick will play some left, but uh, I think they're really going give, to uh, uh, give him a shot right now, give uh, Fisher a shot what he can do, so uh, I know they they poked around with some guys in free agency, and there's still a lot of those guys sitting out there, as we know. They're going to have their own spring camp coming up here, the, the guys who are unsigned, but it's going to be a big spring for uh, for Fisher to see what he can do. And then when you talk about Marvin Gonzalez, he was the he wanted to
2: be in the everyday left fielder in the postseason, yep. but his value is because he can play so many different positions. So A.J. Hinch doesn't really like to just pigeonhole him to one spot because then that, that limits what else he can do with the, with the lineup on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and I think especially early in the year, you're going to see Marwin playing, uh, you know, as much as he can, giving Correa a day off and Altuve a day off. I think we all know now how, how A.J. operates. He's not afraid to give these guys days off, and they're not afraid to take them. So, And that's where Marwin's strength comes in. And, and there's going to be injuries. We all know that. Uh, right. you know, Correa went out for, for a couple of months, and uh, – uh, and Marvin's a guy who's often injured, nicked up here and there, but he, he was able to stay on the field for much of the year. He was. All right, some rapid-fire questions for you, Brian. Let's go. Uh, uh, favorite Astros player you've ever covered? Lance Berkman. That's a good one. As far as a guy who's honest, accessible at his locker, a great player, uh, just fun to be around. Favorite road city? Wow, that's tough. I would probably say Seattle it's a long way to get there but when you get there you can smell the the, the sea and the air you know you're in a, a different part of the world when you're in Seattle
2: yeah without a doubt uh, that definitely is um definitely is, is a big key with Seattle least favorite part of the job for you
1: well it's it's the it's the, the travels a grind it it's good and bad you look forward to going to, going to some places but man the playoffs were, were tough when the, the day the day off in the series is a day you have to travel land go to the ballpark for the workout day you get home at seven or eight you're exhausted there's a game the next day the travel is really tough I know I've said traveling's tough and being in Florida and watching spring training stuff <laughs> so there's uh, there's probably some guys who are on their way home from the refineries in Pasadena who want who want to take me up and uh, beat me up but but uh, it it does get to be a grind. That that, that
2: that line uh, from the movie Reservoir Dogs: is the world's smallest violin playing for Brian <laughs> right. Taggart as right. right. But no, I mean uh, obviously there are there are always it's always a grind. Or there are there times when it is a grind? Although we certainly uh, love what we do, and, and for you, just so special for you getting a chance to cover your hometown team all these years.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, you know when they won the World Series, my phone blew up with a lot of friends and family members. They were they were so excited, and uh, just just what it meant to them, and. And they, uh, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to go out and, and, and party that night. And, and uh, of course, I was in Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, to, to watch the, the franchise grow up and go through the ups and downs, even in the last five years, losing 111 games, getting the World Series, and, and winning it, it's really been special. That's Brian McTaggart. Thanks
2: so much for joining us. It's a great job. AstrosBeatRiderFamily.com. Right I'm you. Robert Ford. Next Astro line coming up next Thursday. Jeff Blump will be the host. Thanks to all the great people here at Pluckers. Thanks to Bob Elliott, producer engineer, uh, our studio producer Bob Elliott, producer engineer Matt Bolts. You've been listening to the Pluckers, or been listening to Lime presented by Carbach Burn Company, live from Pluckers Wing Bar.